Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks, Chris Higgins, for the cool astronaut. Appreciate that. Yeah. Thank you, Chris, for leading some great announcements there. Loved it. And into a time of worship. We've talked a lot about the, the astronaut a little bit. It takes a lot of courage to launch yourself into space when the mortality rate is so high for astronauts. It's got to be one of the most fear-filled and anxious events any human being would willingly put themselves into. And it's sort of an image that we're kind of taking into our lives during this six-week series. How can we launch ourselves into the midst of a fear-filled and anxious world and live? And not just survive, but to live a rich life, a deeply fulfilling life. And so we're in week three of our series. We're looking at six different people from the Old Testament who courageously launched themselves, their lives into anxiety-inducing times, anxiety-inducing cultures and circumstances, places and situations and relationships into unknown futures. And perhaps most profoundly, they had a trust and a faith in the midst of uncertainty. And so I hope that you've been growing together in your life groups over the last couple of re- uh, weeks. As Chris said, it's not too late to grab the study. We'll have them at the exits. They're at the courtyard. They're, everything's online. It's super easy to do it with yourself or your family or grab a friend. It's just one of the ways that we grow together here at St. John's. So anyway, this past summer, my family and I, we went on vacation uh, to the Central Coast. And we did sort of one of the iconic Central Coast vacation-y type of things that you got to do. And we went to Hearst Castle. Anybody been to Hearst Castle before? All right. Yeah. I mean, if you go to the Central Coast, it's kind of, you're in California, and you got to like do it once in your life for sure. And it's such an awesome place, right? You go up on the hill. It's looking down on the Pacific Ocean, San Simeon Cove. It's just perfect. And they got great trees and plants and historical uh, artifacts and artwork all over the place. And it's basically an architectural masterpiece in the central coast of California. But before it was built, it was nothing. William Hurst, he wanted to build this home, this castle, a big, epic proportions. But all the architects said that it could not be done. The architects said that the location and the enormity of the project was too much. Except for one architect. One architect said, yes, we can do this. Does anybody know his name? Does anybody know the architect's name? Do you know his name? Anybody? 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 Anybody know his name? That's right, it's a she. Good job. It's not a guy. It's a, it's a girl. It's a woman. Julia Morgan, actually. Who knew that back there? All right. Oh, all the tech crew, man. Oh, here we go. All right. A woman knew it. That's right. All right. I love that story. Julia Morgan. She was the first uh, woman to attend the highly prestigious architectural school in Paris. She had to wait two years in Paris to be admitted because they had never had a woman there before. She was the first licensed architect in the state of California, a first licensed woman architect. She was the first woman to navigate a career dominated by men. And she proved herself to be one of the best architects in the history of our state and in many ways the world. When all the men said it couldn't be done, she stood up and she said, yes, it can, and I will do it. Now, I'm a father of daughters, so when I heard this, and even one of my daughters said, I want to be an architect one day, I was like, this is pretty cool. She can look up to someone. She can look up to another woman who has pursued this career and had great success. It got me kind of thinking a little bit about us and our culture and our country 
how far we've come, but also how far we have to go, right? The battle of the sexes is nothing new. The exploitation, the oppression of women has a long history in, in the world, in the United States of America, and even in the church. I mean, a hundred years ago, women couldn't even vote in the United States of America. So we have come a long way, but we've got a long way to go. Now, the United States of America hasn't had a woman president yet, but other countries have, right? The heads of state often are called presidents or prime ministers or chancellor or governor general. There have been many women in these leadership positions. And I find it interesting that if we go back 3,200 years and we look at the nation of Israel and we look at the heads of state in Israel at the time, at the time that's called the period of the judges, Israel's heads of state, Israel's judge 3,200 years ago was a woman. Her name, Deborah. And so far in our series, we've looked at two men. We looked at Abraham and Moses, very godly men. We've seen some very important women connected to their lives. Sarah, the wife of Abraham. Moses, the sister, uh, or Miriam, the uh, sister of Moses, who was a prophet. And today we look at Deborah. Deborah's a very godly woman. She ruled in that period of the judges, which was a crazy time in the nation of Israel's history. And she was living in a very patriarchal world dominated by men. 3,200 years ago, she had to lead with courage, with faith, with trust. She truly was a woman of God, a prophet of God. And she rose up to lead God's people to peace. You see, after Moses had gotten the people out of, led the people out of slavery in Egypt, they were wandering around out there in the desert for 40 years. They came into the land of Canaan led by Joshua. But when the Israelites got into the land of Canaan, they were tempted. They were tempted by the ways of the Canaanites. And they made some pretty terrible choices in their lives. They abandoned God. They went after the evil and destructive and harmful ways of the Canaanites. And then we see this pattern sort of develop in the book of Judges and the people of God during this time. I hope you can see this uh, image. Can you see that back there? It's kind of small, but basically they would sin. They would make a bad choice. They would turn from God. They would do evil things. And as a result, God kind of handed them over to the consequences of those choices, right? Anybody have kids out there, right? When they do something bad, you got to give them the consequences, right? Because if you don't give them the consequences, you're actually going to harm them right? They're going to become a sort of person that you don't want to live with and you don't want to be in society. This was happening on an epic proportion in the nation of Israel. And so God would give them over to it. They would become oppressed. They would realize that what they were going through was not good. The consequences of their decisions, they said they wanted this life with the Canaanites. And once they got the life, they realized how destructive and damaging it was for them. They were oppressed by it and they would cry out. That's what supplication is. And humility to God and say, God, we are sorry for the choices we made, for what we've done. Will you help us? And God would bring salvation to them through a judge, through a leader, through a ruler, through a savior. Salvation is granted. They find a period of rest. But then guess what happens? The cycle continued over again. Time and time again in the book of Judges, it happens multiple times, same sort of thing. And you might be looking at it and you're like, oh, maybe it kind of sounds like my life a little bit, right? We do something wrong, that something wrong oppresses us. We ask God for help, 
He grants us salvation, deliverance from it. We have a period of rest, and sometimes we get a little lazy, right? And we jump back in the cycle again. Well, let's take a look at that cycle, one portion of that cycle in the book of Judges. We're going to look at Deborah's story. And in Judges chapter 4, verse 1, and it's kind of a crazy Judges 4 and 5. There's a lot of stuff going on. I'm going to hit on some things that might make you feel uncomfortable. Um, and I hope you'll study it more in depth this coming week in your life groups or at home. But Judges 4, verse 1 says, Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Okay, so they went into that sin mode. They turned away from God. Now, now that Ehud was dead, that was a previous judge, a previous ruler, a previous head of state. So verse 2, the Lord sold them, or better translated, turned them over to the hands of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in, who reigned in Hatzor. And Sisera, the commander of the army, was based in Harosheth Hagoim. Verse 3, because he had 900 chariots fitted with iron, so Sisera was a powerful man. 900 chariots, chariots fitted with iron is like a huge destructive army and force during the ancient Near Eastern time. And he cruelly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years. Now, no, no other Canaanite oppressor was called cruelly like this. So it means that Sisera and King Jabin, they, these men and their, their culture and their leadership and even their religion, the things that they did, the atrocities they committed would leave you nause, nauseous and outraged if I told you what it really was all about. We'll get more into that in a little bit. And they did that for 20 years to the people of Israel. People of Israel wanted that culture, and once they got that culture, they realized how terrible it was. And so it says there, verse 3, they cried to the Lord for help, and he brought them salvation. He brought them deliverance. Verse 4, Deborah, a prophet, the wife of Lapidoth, was leading Israel at the time. So as a prophet, it means that she heard God, God would speak to her, and then she would communicate for God to the people. She listened to God and told the people what God was wanting for them. She was leading the people of Israel. Israel means that she was the head of state. She was the governmental leader. She was the judge and the ruler at the time. In verse 5, it says more about Deborah. I should have brought my glasses. All right, it's up there on the screen. She... <laughs> Can you hold this for me over there? All right. She held court under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the Israelites went up to her to have their disputes judged, decided. She was recognized as a wise counselor. She was recognized as a judge. The people came to her to settle all sorts of social and legal and relational disputes and cases and problems and things that they were enduring. And when we look at that little piece of Deborah in the book of Judges, we see a difference in her than the other, ju other judges in the entire book. We see that Deborah led from wisdom and from character. character. And when we look at Deborah, we're reminded that God's chosen leader does not simply come in and rescue by military might or physical might or deliver, but God's chosen leader also, also reigns and also rules. And so we see in Deborah, she's foreshadowing, she's pointing forward to the monarchy and to the king of kings, ultimately to Jesus, who bore the government on his shoulder, and in Isaiah chapter 9 is called the Prince of Peace and the wonderful counselor, verse 7, of the greatness of his government and peace 
There will be no end. He will reign over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness. Every single one of the judges in the book of Judges, all every single one of the kings, they're foreshadowing and pointing forward to Jesus, the king of kings, the ruler of rulers, the judges of judges. And Deborah's life profoundly points forward to that reality. In verse 6 and 7, it says that Deborah, she sent for Barak, son of Abinoam from Kadesh in Naphtali, and said to him, The Lord, the God of Israel, commands you, Go take with you 10,000 men of Naphtali and Zebulun and lead them up to Mount Tabor. God is saying through Deborah, I will lead Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his troops to the Kishon River, and I will give him into your hands. In these two verses, we get a glimpse of the beauty of Deborah's radical faith, her radical trust, her fearless faith in God. Because one, we see in those verses that Deborah, as a prophet of God, she listens to God. But two, she doesn't go it alone. She doesn't lead alone. She doesn't move forward alone. So one, she listens to God. She leads from God's desires and purposes. She's not leading from her own thoughts or her own aspirations or her own desires to control or to elevate her name. Her leadership and her direction and her vision are dependent upon God and what God gives to her. But the second part of it is she doesn't do it alone. And every great leader knows this. You have strength and you have weaknesses. And you can't lead alone. You have to have other people. God puts people into your life to help you lead and go forward. And with God's guidance, she invites Barak into God's saving work to deliver the Israelites from oppression. And in verse 8, Barak said to her, if you go with me, I will go. But if you don't go with me, I won't go. And Deborah said in verse 9, certainly I will go with you. The time comes. In verse 14, we see it. Deborah said to Barak, go, this is the day the Lord has given Sisera into your hands. Has not the Lord gone ahead of you? So Barak went down Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. At Barak's advance, the Lord rooted Sisera and all his chariots and army by the sword. And Sisera got down from his chariot and he fled on foot. We learn in the text that he flees to an ally of his, an ally named Heber, but Heber's not there. His wife, Jael, is there. Jael welcomes him into the tent. He falls asleep from exhaustion. And then Jael, a woman, puts this terrible and evil general, this man, to an end while he sleeps. This is graphic stuff, I know. She does it with a tent peg and a hammer, which were women's tools. It was. In those times, his death was one of the most humiliating deaths in the history of any sort of general. A peg through the temple. Verse 22 says it this way of Judges. Just then Barak came by in pursuit of Sisera, and Jael went out to meet him. Come, she said, I will show you the man you're looking for. And so he went in with her, and there lay Sisera with the tent peg through his temple, dead. Verse 23. On that day, God subdued Jabin, king of Canaan, before the Israelites. God did. Did he use Deborah? Yes. Did he use Barak? Yes. Did he use Jael? Yes. They all had a part in it, but ultimately God was acting and delivering his oppressed people from some very evil and terrible times. And I know you're hearing that story, and you might be hearing it, and it's gruesome. And some of you actually may be at this point feeling sorry for Sisera. 
But let me tell you, our God is a God of justice. Sisera and King Jabin and their culture was utterly and completely evil. You read through Judges 4 in chapter 5, part of it, in fact, one of the verses in chapter 5 is so explicit and so shocking that translators of the Old Testament have sort of completely softened it. And I couldn't say it to you in the room today because you would leave if I, if I said it out loud. But let's just say that the Canaanite culture and religions exploited and oppressed everyone they took control of, especially women, kind of like the Boko Haram extremists of Richard Ramirez's proportions, predatory enslavement and human trafficking of the worst kind of women and girls. It is, and if I explained it explicitly all to you, like I said, you would get up and leave. These people also incorporated those sort of practices into their cultists, into their worship services. God raised up Deborah, a woman, to lead God's people, a woman of faith and trust who had no military might or ability, but she did those two things. She listened to God, and she didn't go it alone. She went forward with God's people. In fact, she gave God's people permission and freedom to stand up and fight against their oppressors, against the evil in the world. It says it in Judges 5, verse 6. It says, this is what the oppression was like. It says, the highways were abandoned. Travelers took to winding paths. Villagers in Israel, they would not fight. They held back until I, Deborah, arose. Until I arose a mother in Israel. Deborah, a mother in Israel, brought deliverance and salvation to God's oppressed people. Jael, a woman, brought down the evil Sisera. Judges chapter 5, verse 31 says, Then the land had peace. For 40 years. You got to just love the way that God is operating here. We learn quite a bit from Deborah's story. But we learn two, two big things if you look at Deborah and we look at Israel. That we look at Deborah's life and we think that no matter what situation you are in life, no matter how insurmountable it seems to be, even if it's trying to be an architect, when no one says you can't. We learn from Deborah to listen to God first and foremost, to listen to his word and to what he says to you and how he is direct, directing you, not to the world, not to the culture, not to yourself, but you listen to God. And you trust him and the people that he has placed in your life to lead you down that road. That's what Deborah did. Radical faith, fearless faith, radical trust. But we also learn from Israel in this story. We learn from Israel in the cycle of judges that no matter how far you have gone from God, no matter how damaging the consequences of your choices seem to be, and I know that some of you in the room need to hear this today, because I know that some of you think that God cannot forgive you for what you've done. The story of the judges, the people of Israel, tells us that when you turn back to God in humility and you cry out to him for help, he will always bring you salvation. He did it time and time and time and time and time again in the book of Judges. And he did it through Deborah. And ultimately, he did it completely and thoroughly in Jesus, the King of kings, the ruler of rulers, the judge of judges. In his death and his resurrection, 
and his promise to come again and restore all things. Isaiah chapter 9 verse 7 says of the greatness of his government, his leadership, his rule, and of his peace, there will be no end. It's my prayer that we move forward with faith and with trust. Hopefully it will be radical. Hopefully it will be fearless, depending and relying on our great leader, Jesus, who we see a picture of in Deborah and in the people of Israel and their deliverance.